This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. There he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Command Center, the Warthog Man Cave here inside the Melbourne Law Studio. 352-325-3938 for a text message or Facebook chat me. Uh, good morning, everybody checking in. And uh, we have uh, updates on some things and some new things, of course. And I'll try to keep the class interesting today and help you uh, uh, keep everything sort of uh, informed and have a good time. Um, just uh, to let you bring you up to date here uh, on a couple of things. Uh, locally, I want to... Of course, always acknowledge um, Illogical Chronicle, which uh, we advertise on. They advertise on us. We we share information. Uh, Jennifer Gabera and I feel like we're probably the only two in the in the mind shaft, if you will. Uh, Jennifer writes, and I sort of talk, and we share information. And uh, the excellent job she's done. And it's going to take all hands on deck, as I suggested to Tim Martin yesterday. It's going to take all hands on deck to combat this um, behavior from um, the county commission on single member districts. So there are a couple of things that are worth noting there that are going on. One, of course, is um, the school board, which we didn't really talk about much yesterday, but it's uh, behaving badly, too. And I think it's because it sets a bad example for children, which is supposed to be the administrator of and the lesson keeper of. We don't want to teach children to just ignore the rules that you don't like uh, from the authority which governs you. And um, that goes down to parental uh, discipline and guidance. And we know what happens when that's not available. Um, I happen to have grown up uh, with a very stern father. Some would say an abusive father. I would even say an abusive father. But nevertheless, a father that I respected um, for what he'd been through and what he survived. And that was a combat veteran of the worst fighting possible in the Pacific theater and um, came home and tried to make ends uh, meet and get it all back together again. And uh, it took me years to understand that and put it in perspective. So lots of times it takes time for things to settle in. Um, this COVID deal has been obviously uh, probably this generation's uh, equivalent of the depression for my mother's generation because they never recovered from the depression and the effects of it on them. And we'll probably, this group of young ones now coming up, uh, and even adults will probably never forget uh, the effects of the COVID on them. And I have, as you know, had a section I've had to talk about COVID at some point during the show now for a couple of years when I thought it'd only be a couple of weeks initially. And of course it turned out to be more than that. Um, so this has led to all sorts of um, issues that are uh, requiring some um, discipline, some of which has been controversial. You see it 
in uh, Canada. And Canada has really turned into more of a protest against their loss of civil liberties than it is over the vaccination because about 90% of the protesters are vaccinated. It is the government's decree uh, taking away of freedoms that is at issue here. Um, the argument here locally was between the school board uh, that I want to focus on, uh, John Kennedy focused on in the Gainesville Sunset. We're about to get a good writer back here uh, with whom we've worked in the past. He may already be back and answer as Andrew Kaplan. And Andrew Kaplan is somebody who I think uh, the son has felt the pressure from a logical chronicle in the Ward Scott files. And Andrew Kaplan is a very good writer about local issues. So we'll see how all that turns out. But right now, this is out of the Capitol Bureau of the U.S. Today Network. I suspect in the future in the Gainesville Sunset, Andrew Kaplan will be writing a lot of these articles. Uh, he is now in charge of investigative reporting and the editorial writing and all that. Maybe not the editorial writing. That may still be uh, uh, Nathan, but Crab. But anyway, um, he's a welcome addition. Uh, for uh, As far as we're concerned, we, we like Andrew Kaplan, and uh, we hope we can look forward to working with him to help keep you informed in the community. But uh, this whole thing about um, thumbing your nose goes all the way back to Dionne McGraw, uh, thumbing her nose. Um, but this is over uh, at the governor. But uh, now the governor has said, well, you know, we're going to uh, reward those people who have fallen in line and with the mask issue, because the mask issue has been extremely controversial and it should be left up, the governor says, if I understand this correctly, in the hands of the parents. And um, that has um, not been the case. It's been a bureaucratic down uh, decree, much like the ones the truckers are protesting in Canada. And so as an arbitrator of this, DeSantis has stepped in and tried to suggest, look, you know, uh, in order to straighten this out, I've said, you know, you guys make the choice by the parents. Well, the school board didn't do that. And uh, and, uh, and so this now DeSantis is withholding uh, money uh, to the Elagio County School Board, about $2 million. He's withheld it from people around the state who are really rebellious and anti-rule, um, uh, I would have to say. You know, this is all about obeying the rules. And, you know, you've heard me talk about my observation that one of the things that um, the Democrats just simply don't want to do, and I'm going to get into that in a, member, in a minute with single member districts, um, they just don't want, they want, they don't want to, if the rules don't fit them, they don't, they don't want to buy them. And if they change, they, they want to change them, they change them. And if they want to ignore them, they ignore them. Uh, the rules for other guys, not necessarily for them. Now, you know, I stand corrected. I mean, I assume they're, some Democrats who occasionally watch the show, uh, I've gotten some feedback already on some of the response uh, that has come out of the uh, state attorney's office about the show the other day. I'll keep that quiet right now. Some of it's kind of funny. and uh, But they felt the pressure of our conversation about the task force. And I think there ought to be more pressure until there's more uh, community understanding of what happened uh, in uh, that office when it decided, it decided uh, to send the SWAT team one, and then there's another shoe to drop, uh, whether or not they'll actually do anything about the uh, 10 uh, can, uh, violators of this election laws that the FDLE gave them. Because, you know, they can still drop that. Um, you know, we're going to watch this. I mean, you know, they, they could drop that and charge 
Uh, I mean, and, and go after even more Drotos and Riles, uh, or they could drop all of the above, none of the above, or some of the above. And it's very political. It's looking more and more like it's political. And, and by that, we mean there are certain interests that are being uh, buttered, if you will, because these people, the, the state attorney runs for office. Um, I have it on very good report that the state attorney went to the MLK uh, conversations on MLK Day at Citizens Field and told the people there that he was going to try to uh, overturn this thing about felons not being able to vote. At the same time, if that's so, the state attorney has uh, cases where felons voted. Um, what do you, you know, what do you make of that? I mean, what I make it's just raw, sheer politics. The state attorney is elected. If this is true, then he went down there to a minority organization that has probably in their eyes and a disproportionate number of felons and, um, and took up the issue that is always very, very emotionally driven. That's voting and placated those people by saying that while he still had an investigation going on uh, that's not yet completed and brought to justice. So, uh, you, you know, somewhere along the line, there has to be some, some, uh, some integrity here and some standards and some, you know, discipline and commitment to, uh, you know, not being, uh, putting your self-interest ahead of everything else. Um, so DeSantis is saying, listen, Alachua County, Brevard, Broward, Miami-Dade, Duval, Hillsborough, Indian River, Leon, Orange, Palm Beach, Sarasota, and Volusia, uh, you don't get the money that you thought you were going to get from us uh, because you just want your own way. And, and of course, these are places that if you look a little more closely, and we're doing that right now, at voting irregularities in uh, all the above, which I won't talk much more about right now, but we're looking to see if there are correlations between uh, their attitude about uh, what should be done with school board and, and what is being done with voting. And I suspect, you know, if we had a, a big enough staff, which we don't have, we're literally, literally the proverbial uh, one-armed paper hanger. Um, we we have we, we we try to get the big shots involved in this, uh, you know. But the big shots really have all have, have signed off on the uh, appropriate media narrative, and you see us get punished for deviating from that narrative. Uh, we get addressed, addressed down, as we say, uh, by these platforms we distribute this information to you on because it just doesn't fit their narrative. And this is going on all over this country. And, uh, uh, you know, so you've got, to, you've got to push back. And I'm going to cover that in just a minute with how it's going on in uh, the uh, single-member districts discussion. So uh, the Florida governor is... Uh, uh, deciding on the, um, the rights of the parents and their kids. And uh, we've got a little uh, uh, interesting uh, uh, situation there that will uh, maybe uh, get even more uh, kind of uh, emotionally driven because these school boards are under a lot of pressure right now. And they, as you know, very soon, uh, this school board is going to take up the issue of uh, the uh, contract renewal of the particular superintendent we've got right now. Now, Jennifer Cabrera, as I mentioned, has written, and I think Tim Martin helped with this. I must applaud him. 
by actually being there on the Johnny on the spot and being in Tallahassee and actually going to the microphone and talking. And uh, I want to really, as I say, uh, support him and, and applaud him and bring him the, what he's, uh, the recognition he's due. But the point is that uh, now the uh, 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 Lachua County group, the commission, Sexton, that whole group are trying to, to uh, uh, backpedal uh, this idea that they're going to use county funds, taxpayer funds to fight people's initiative. But listen, you know, so Cabrera's done a pretty good job of citing it here. It's very easy to see um, uh, once that day starts discussing this, that's on taxpayer nickel. These commissioners, think of it, Cornell, the undertaker, uh, Chestnut, uh, the school teacher, Wheeler. Um, uh, my God, I don't know what the other two are, but uh, the ladies, but... Um, if I thought enough about them, I'd come up with nicknames for them. But they, you know, you, you have to rise to a level of, of of importance before you get a nickname. And I just haven't given them any yet. But I do have the Undertaker's been around for a while, and of course the Thin Skin Water Boy, uh, the Mini Mike when Barley was on. So, um, but they have used county time. They're paid over eighty five grand a year for a part time job. Um, they get retirement and all these other things. Don't think these people are not yakking on your taxpayer dollar. Um, they are also uh, talking openly about um, uh, they, they, Sexton, we, as, we, as near as we can tell, ghost wrote a lot of this um, article that the Sun printed that supposedly was written by Alfred and then was quoted, plagiarized really uh, in large part uh, by Henson, whatever her name is now, used to be Rawls. I think that fellow ran off and left, but just a Henson now. So anyway, uh, uh, there's a lot of, of, of uh, ghost writing going on here and, 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 and Sexton should not be taking sides. Um, I would say, so we're going to call him out and watch him. This is not the first time I know Mark, I like Mark, but we call him the minister of propaganda because his job is to write the propaganda for the commission. And the propaganda, as we've said, that the commission is putting out is that, you know, you don't want to do this. This is bad for the community. All this is, let's keep focused on all this is, is an opportunity for the community itself to vote up or down. That's all it is. And if the county commission had been uh, one of responsibility and uh, ethics and all that, they would have put this on the ballot themselves and let the people decide. Well, what do you think they are really telegraphing? They don't want their 85 grand a year and all the um, amenities uh, jeopardized. That's basically it. They don't want their political affiliations, all of which are Democrat Party, uh, jeopardized. They don't want anything to fracture this or break it up or to give somebody else a chance of doing it a different way. So what this basically boils down to, and I'm going to keep using this term and using this term and using this term 
is it boils down to voter suppression. That is what it is. Voter suppression. It is nothing else. And you don't think these Democrats would be griping like crazy if it were voter suppression of minorities? And if minorities were being suppressed, don't you think they'd be griping because minorities got political power in this community initially through single member districts? Now it's who's bore at the cabbage. Oh, wow. Well, now that we got power, we don't want anybody else to have the opportunity that we had. Right. So we're going to pound. I'm going to pound that theme. I'm going to make sure that you understand that this pure and simple. I don't care. I don't know what you're going to have to say about single member districts, which, by the way, is going to take an enormous educational uh, uh, program to help you understand what it means, because I will poll you right now. And right now, my, my, my watchers, I, I, I assure you, a good, a good percentage of you don't know what it is or what's at stake here. And that's understandable. There's nowhere for you to learn. The supervisor of election is not going to tell you. The county commission is not going to truthfully tell you. The media only publishes op-ed pieces, and it probably will come out with an editorial uh, against single-member districts. And if they do, then they are for voter suppression. It is pure and simple about voter suppression. And as you know, what we're trying to do is keep the playing field level. When it comes, and it's going to go to the ballot, I will assure you that that Florida legislature has had enough out of this county. As you can see, DeSantis has had enough out of this county uh, with his attitude toward the school system. He has also had enough out of this county with his attitude toward the political system. So I can assure you that this is going to make the ballot. I mean, I can assure you, and I've never been wrong, except when I advised Tom Petty and those guys not to go to California, but to go back to school. And I was, I have to admit, I probably, well, I was right. Um, you know, really, I was right. They just didn't recognize it and went off and did their own thing. Is that the way to spin that? But anyway, um, this is this is the situation. So uh, there's going to be, because the, uh, the county commission, for whatever reason, the only reason it can be, they give all the, we don't have the time. Well, why are you taking the time? It's not, it doesn't have to do with you anyway. Why are you taking the time? Just put it on the ballot and let the people decide. Huh? No. When it gets on the ballot or when it comes out, you're going to see the dangdest propaganda splurge by the minister of propaganda, Mark Sexton, and his cronies that you've ever seen in Alachua County. I'm, I'm telling you, it's going to be incredible. And where is the money going to come from and the leadership to push back against it? As I've already said, there is a leadership vacuum in this community. Witness the failure of the Growth Management Area Act because of the absolute lack of leadership on the part, particularly of one mayor in this community that could have really chipped in and maybe made a difference. Just went his own, went his own way for personal reasons. That ain't going to work. That ain't going to cut it. They're all going to have to be pushing back. And it's in the interest of these small communities that there be single member districts because they're going to get uh, the become treated as a redheaded stepchild uh, because they're rural communities. And the county, ironically, 
misnamed a county commission is not really a county commission. It is a Gainesville centric commission. Its charter review committee was, was Gainesville centric. I proved that in my piece I wrote that was published in the Sun. And I think we have it posted on the Ward Scott, uh, Ward's Hot Bulletin Board. If we don't, we need to. And uh, of that, and we will have, but that, 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 that's basically uh, the story, the storyline is why are they working so hard to suppress something uh, that is not really anything other than an attempt to keep you from having an opportunity to express yourself? So, uh, and it's very easy, as I say, to show that the county commission is a city eccentric commission. It's not a county commission. And uh, so this, this story will be obviously on the front burner for a while for you. The other update is uh, 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 here we have a task force that's being formed under the bonding aid uh, ability of the state attorney uh, of only GPD cops. And GPD has an advertisement uh, right now trying to recruit people to be GPD cops by giving them incentives and promising this and promising that because nobody wants to go down there to that discombobulated outfit and risk his life when you've got a commission with the communist uh, uh, Cuban on it who wants to demilitarize the cops, who gives the international fighter pilot salute to anybody she disagrees with. Uh, you have the poodle. Um, you have... Uh, banana pudding, you have the boy named Lauren uh, and the kid who can't remember where he slept last night. You have all these comic clowns down there that if you were a GPD cop, you have to answer to. And, and now we're going to take that group and bond them under the uh, state attorney. And where are you going to get the manpower from that you took you know, uh, you know, it, it really defies ethical standards. And, and I, I don't think that story has even begun to be over yet. It's just starting to heat up. It goes along and it, you know, with the, the question we've not had answered and nobody holds his feet to the fire that Tony Jones, who was then the police chief, told the police advisory committee a board in June, that when the investigation is over and the investigation is over and the people have been charged, he would then go into uh, why, and the word is investigation, it's not trial, not when the trial is over, when the investigation is over, he will explain to you why he sent the matrix and made it such that it sent the SWAT. That, hasn't, that pressure hasn't People need to keep the pressure on their public officials because they are, they, you talk about the Klan. These people become clannish. That mean, I mean, they get private organizations uh, together. They get cliques together. They hold grudges. Um, this is the nature of them. Um, they are paranoid. They, are, they, they complain about conspiratorialists, yet they're conspiratorialists. And the only way to keep this thing, in my humble estimation, and it is to keep transparency and keep honesty and keep them telling you 
uh, something that is an unadulterated interest of the community and not in their interest. And the interest of the community is to explain uh, why uh, you do these things that these people didn't vote on. The public did not vote on the task chief investigator, Lloyd. He is not accessible to public disgruntlement. He's shielded by Kramer. So Kramer is going to be taking the heat. And I don't know how it's going to turn out. He is an elected official. He ran unopposed. He is a Republican who, if it's true, I wasn't there, but I've been told it's true. And we're trying to see if anybody tape recorded it. Uh, when he went to the MLK and spoke to that crowd, that he was going to try to overturn the thing about felonies not being able to vote. That is largely a Democrat crowd. So we have a Republican, if this is true, and all, all Brian has to do is call me up or message me, but he thinks I've only got two listeners, I'm told. So, uh, you know, if um, uh, a, supposedly it's gotten back to me that uh, I'm not worried about Ward Scott, he just got two little listeners. Um, that whipped back to me. I don't know if it's true, but that's what was told to me. Uh, and so you take that with a grain of salt and uh, see how it works out. But all you have to do is say, listen, you know, this and that one and another. So I've already covered that ground. And, and, and you, you all can keep an eye on all of these issues in this community. One is the GPD police world, which has a mysterious lateral move, if you will, of a Tony Jones under the umbrella of this lady Curry, I think her name, who's an interim city manager. Uh, two is a single member district uh, ploy by the county commission to not use public money while they are and already have, and you can prove it. Um, so that's, that's a couple of things that you can keep an eye on. And of course, the school situation where uh, there's going to be, you know, some probably fireworks at that first meeting in March. Now, of course, everything I tell you is either an opinion or it is documented or it is some sort of narrative that you're welcome to uh, confirm, deny all of, none of, or part of. Um, this is nothing that, um, uh, you know, time won't tell the truth of. Just as time told the truth of my poor advice to the young musicians, uh, time will maybe tell the truth of uh, my comments here, and they were either right on, partly on, or not on at all. But I do spread it out to you so you can have a chance to talk about it. Jennifer Cabrera is writing about it. And now that we have Andrew Kaplan here, perhaps he will also uh, write about it. It would be um, a very interesting if he, if he did, and I think he will. COVID report just before our sponsor break. I thought this was pretty interesting. Sarah Toy has written about this. Apparently, now this is one more wrinkle I, you know, that you might be interested in. Babies born to mothers who got vaccinated during pregnancy were significantly less likely to be hospitalized for COVID-19. Uh, this is a study led by federal researchers. To the extent that you trust federal researchers, uh, then you can add this to the growing evidence of the uh, controversial benefit of maternal vaccination. Uh, this was published by the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, and it found that COVID-19 vaccination 
during pregnancy was 61% protective, meaning that babies who were fewer than six months old, whose mothers were vaccinated, were 61% less likely to be hospitalized with COVID-19. Now, I have a very good friend who is right in this category. Uh, I don't know, uh, uh, you know, the extent to when my good friend was vaccinated, but I do know that the baby had COVID. As I understand it, the mother had COVID and the father had COVID, but they'd all been vaccinated. And so they came through it as near as I can tell last time I checked. So there's been a lot of research into hospitalized children. Uh, they've looked at uh, just under 400 who are under six uh, months of age, and they've traced where their mothers had been back, whether their mothers had been vaccinated uh, during pregnancy. Um, they assessed maternal vaccination and how it affected infection in the mothers uh, and looked at the odds of COVID-19 vaccination among mothers whose babies were hospitalized and compared them with the odds uh, of those mothers who uh, were not. So you, the 84% of the babies in the study who were hospi hospitalized with COVID-19 were born to people who were not vaccinated, okay? Um, so the babies that were born, that were hospitalized with COVID were born of mothers who were not vaccinated. Uh, among babies with COVID-19 admitted to the ICU, 88% were born to mothers who were not vaccinated before or during pregnancy. Um, the, there was one baby who died in the study uh, who was born of an unvaccinated mother. So what the CDC is claiming, and, and you know, you have people, as I say, people can't prove anything they believe, so they're free to believe anything they want to. Uh, this is provable. Well, this is statistically probable uh, that the study strengthens evidence that COVID-19 shots have provided protection for babies before they were born uh, if their mothers were vaccinated. Um, there's overwhelming data accumulating now that the vaccine is protecting a death and serious outcomes, even in the unborn. There you go. I mean, I'm just a reporter on that. Um, it's a CDC report put together by uh, Karen Toy. Um, and you can uh, take that and we say, put it in your pipe and smoke it. Um, geez, I was listening to a Willie Nelson just before I came on the air. I really like Willie Nelson. And he gave me an idea. He said, when I die, roll me up and smoke me. Isn't that something? My golly. We'll be right back after we have a, a little talk for our sponsors and a few ditties played for you while I eat my coffee. Be right back on the Ward Scott Files. This is Ward Scott. And I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, Large enough to serve you, small enough to care. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are On the Spot Dry Cleaners, Okita America Martial Arts, RR Construction, Gators Dockside, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. If your brains were lard, 
you couldn't grease a small frying pan. <laughs> to call you stupid would be an insult to stupid people. Octon, octon. The papers are not in order. Step out of the line and report to the inspection station. We are going to search your belongings. Much now. That warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Ken Cornell, known as the thin-skinned water boy. Ken Cornell, known as Minnie Mike. Ken Cornell, wears elevator shoes. Ken Cornell, he just wants to be like All right, Ken Cornell, we got a little ditty there for him. We'll probably play that a lot because he's in the, he sticks his nose into so many things. But uh, I got to got to uh, treat you to a, a little great event last night that we happened to go to the uh, um, quarterback club, and I happened to bump into a couple of buddies there that I haven't seen since the 60s, um, who were the first two um, black UF football players, Willie um, Jackson Sr. and Leonard George, and uh, uh, just had a, had a great time with them. And it made me think about an issue that has come up uh, because uh, uh, these guys are – mean a lot to me. I, I, I spent quite a bit of time, of course, back then with those guys. And, and um, you know, I remember the day that Leonard George came out to the football field and it kind of worked out with me and a couple of buddies that I was working out with that uh, were going down to the University of Tampa. So, um, you know, I was fresh in the coaching world. And so I was, um, I was, I like to work out with the guys and, you know, passes and 40 yards and covering and all that stuff. So it was a lot of fun. And I remember the day Leonard came down and then eventually Will and I played on the same team together in a, in a league uh, in the off season uh, uh, on, on a flag team together. So we were pretty tight, but um, there's been an issue that's come up lately and always kinds of, it always kind of bothers me when it comes up. Cause I don't, I don't think of Willie and I don't think of Leonard as black. I just think of them as, as anything, I think of them as jocks. I mean, you know, the jock world is a special world. Uh, for example, sitting at the table with these gentlemen yesterday evening, uh, we were laughing like crazy because we were swapping jock stories. Uh, uh, Jimmy Dubois, Dubois were there with us and uh, Melvin flowing away and some other guys. And, uh, um, you know, we were, <laughs> we were telling stories and the other people in the rest of the room, they, they weren't, they, they really couldn't share them with us because they, these were jock stories, if you will. And that, so that's the fraternity I see. I don't see black and white. I just see athlete. And, and, and that's the way I think it ought to be. But somehow, some way, the press turns this thing into, well, what's the ratio of, of, um, of black coaches and in the NFL? Why aren't they um, 
uh, more black coaches. And I think Jason Riley, whom I always admire, he wrote an article here a while back. I pulled it out of my midnight auto yard. And now is a good time to talk about it, having been with my buddies. Um, you could probably, uh, Evan, if you want to, uh, I think if he's hearing me, uh, go to my Facebook page and pull that picture off of it and show it to the people of me and Leonard and Willie together. Uh, and let me know if you can do that, and I'll, I'll narrate it as we get into it. Um, so um, uh, this is a... You know, so I listen to Riley. I listen to these reasons. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, yeah, I can say I don't think this way, but um, a lot of people do. So Riley took on the, Jason Riley took on the question. And um, he said that one of the reasons that teams are reluctant to hire a black coach is if they dis dismiss that black coach for good reasons, he'll, they'll be called a racist. And they don't want to set themselves up in that position where, you know, the reason they fired the guy uh, was because uh, he was black. He was not a not coaching fit. And my golly, look at you fired the head coach of LSU after a season he had. Why well, it had nothing to do with his race. I mean, it just said the pressure that's on these people to produce and win and what they're paid and what they're expected to return on the basis of that payment. So, um, I'm getting a high sign. Let's put it up there and look at it. It's a good picture. It's a lot of fun. Uh, there it is. Uh, there is uh, Willie Jackson Sr. on my right as you're looking at it and Leonard George on, on my left. And uh, we're laughing and, uh, and and Willie was chewing. And so he was trying not to laugh and chew. And, uh, you know, we were just having a great time um, going down memory lane. And memory lane is a long trip, my man. Uh, we were together in the 60s. I'm losing track of time. Uh, if, you, if I'm not mistaken, that's almost 60 years ago. Good golly, Miss Molly, where does it all go? But that's a, that was a lot of fun. And um, I'm going to try to feature a fun, uh, you know, if I can get together with the guys who are doing it, they're going to be around Thursday. Uh, uh, they're going to try to, we're going to try to raise some money for uh, a black scholarship deal. And uh, we'll, I'll let you know more about that. So, I wanted to throw that picture up there. You can tell we're all having a great time. And so it kind of it kind of it's weird to me to hear these analysis of why you don't hire somebody, uh, you know, who was black. Um, and and, and, and uh, Riley writes about it. He says that, uh, um, you know, they're trying to say that the systemic racism in the NFL, uh, but the statistical disparities, um, about 70 percent of NFL players are black, yet the league currently has only two black head coaches, one who has a black father and describes himself as multiracial. Um, but the league has adopted rules that require teams to interview minority candidates for top coaching jobs. Uh, since then, uh, Riley says 122 head coaches have been hired and all but 17 of them have been white. So the number of black head coaches has fluctuated. And in 2004, there were five. The number rose to eight by 2011, fell to four 2013, back to eight in 2017. So he says, what are the plausible explanations for this um, have nothing to do with racial bias? Um, and he gives up, he puts up the, the uh, uh, head coaches in the NFL have tended to follow a certain career path. And if anything, they tend to be familiar, they come, tend to come from families 
uh, Shula's, for example, have two or three coaches in the NFL. Um, uh, you know, so you, you have that. That probably is where um, there is more um, going on than racial makeup. Uh, nepotism is probably more of an issue than is racism. Um, there are, uh, there are, let's see what he's nine uh, in 2020, um, 32 head coaches were related to a current or former coach in the league, whether by blood or marriage. And the same applied to the league's 63 coordinators and position coaches, 53 of whom are white. So there's no doubt uh, it's a problem for the league that aspires to have more coaches on the sidelines look like the players on the field, but it's not a problem of racial animosity towards black who want to coach. Uh, it's probably more of family relationships. So, you know, I don't know how important this thing is. Somebody has to look like somebody that I heard this argument when I was in the classroom, that somebody has to look like the guy is teaching you in order for you to learn from the guys teaching you. Uh, it, does, it certainly doesn't hold up in the classroom. Um, one of the very, very best teachers I ever had, um, well, of course, you've heard me talk about him, was Dr. Ansoros from Estonia. And I don't know anything, anybody who looks like those Eastern Europeans. And I could care less. I wasn't looking at the guy. I was listening to the guy. Um, uh, Eudora Welty, who was the great short story writer from Jackson, Mississippi. She wasn't anything to write home about. But who cared? Once she started talking, her mind came out. You didn't care what she looked like. I don't care what Thomas Sowell looks like. I don't care what Jason Riley looks like. Uh, you know, none of, the, none, of the, none of these great thinkers. I, I, who cares? You know, I don't care what Albert Einstein looks like. I mean, you talk about a guy with looks like he stuck his finger in a light socket and frazzled his hair. So what? I mean, listen to the guy think. That's what matters. And, and, and so it's, I think it's a bogus premise from the beginning. Um, hey, you know, a lot of guys... They don't want to go into coaching. It's not an easy uh, profession. I mean, you're always, I don't care if you're white, black, green, or red. You're under, you should have heard the, the pressure that's on this guy coming to, to uh, Florida, uh, Napier. I mean, and they, the presentation was made by his understaff last night. The pressure that's on these guys, where's it coming from? It's coming from the public. And they have all these big, hey, I'm going to tell you something. If the public held the public politicians to that type of pressure and high standards, we'd be one heck of a lot better off. And I think it's a big irony. I've always thought it was a big irony that we'll go hold these coaches to the highest possible standards. We don't hold our public possible, our politicians anywhere near to those standards. If, if the doggone coaches lied to us as much as the politicians did, we'd fire them before this two games into the season. It's just one of those things about people. We're all people. We're not perfect. We're never going to be perfect. We're weird. We're superstitious. We're, 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 we hold grudges. We form cliques. We, you know, hear things that go bump in the night. You know, uh, we believe all kinds of goofy stuff. Uh, you know, hey, we're people. I mean, I've watched these cattle have, have calves without any vets around. It's always occurred to me, heck, they're better mothers than most, a lot of people. I mean, they, well, they're not encumbered by politics and they're not encumbered by being able to read and write. <laughs> God knows. And so once we got there, we got all kinds of ways to divide ourselves or unify ourselves. So, um, you know, I looked up some other things that are interesting that uh, nobody talks about. And I've noticed this. Um, there are, 
this season in the NFL, there are 40 black referees. And a lot of them are the head guys running those games. You ever noticed that? That's a, a, a one third of them. There's 121 total referees in the NFL. This season, there were 40. That's one third. Now, the census says the population of minorities, blacks, in our, in our, in our country is 12.5%. So in terms of referees, guys who lay the law down, guys who make you play the game right, 33% uh, of them are black. And that's, uh, let me see, that's more than double the percentage of the total population of minorities in the total population. So we have four black crew chiefs. Um, uh, so um, we, we, we have, you know, the, nobody writes about that. And, and, uh, and let me tell you something, you don't get to be in that position having been myself an NCAA uh, official, I can tell you that you have to go through a lot of training to be able to go out in front of a population of spectators and fans and govern the uh, uh, athletic event fairly and do the best job you can. Will you be perfect? You try to be perfect. You try to get it every bit of it right. You try to be decisive and not equivocate and apply the rules fairly and equally and know the rules. That's a big thing. Uh, we got a rule book that's as, uh, you know, it's as thick as the encyclopedia. And what we had to do was go through simulation situations where instantly, and we were being taught and watched and evaluated by a guy who had been a veteran who would evaluate us and know, you know, where we were and where we stood and, you know, whether or not we could handle the big matches. And I am very proud to say that I worked myself up to number one chair umpire in the NCAA tennis matches at, at the University of Florida Stadium. And that was in front of a packed crowd. And everybody knew, by golly, if I was in that chair, that match was going to be run fairly and it was going to be run expediently and efficiently and economically. And that, so I, I, I tip my hat to anybody, anybody who, who makes it to the level where you're an NCAA official. Uh, uh, and, and, uh, and particularly, well, in the world where I was in, it's really a hot potato every second. Now, in the world where those guys are in, same as so. Um, those guys, they've earned their stripes. And uh, I don't think anybody cares what race they are when they're out there on that field. They just care that they make good calls. And they don't always make good calls. Um, and it has nothing to do with race. That I can, I've never seen a call made. And I could be wrong, but I've never seen a bad call made in an NFL game uh, because it was racially motivated. Now, I'm going to tell you, once upon a time, it was. Once upon a time, it was. When our, when our Gainesville High football team traveled to Greenwood, South Carolina, and we had Eddie McShann, the first black quarterback, and we went up there and beat the tar out of that team, and we were penalized over 500 yards by the referees in, in, in that game, uh, uh, and we lost because the referees simply weren't going to let us win because we had a black quarterback. Hey, and we fought our way out of that town. Uh, we stopped the bus and said, okay, if you're not going to give us protection, we'll get off here and we'll take you home. I mean, it literally came down to that. And the highway patrol had to escort us out of that town. So that, that, those days are over. You're not going to pull that anymore. And, and so I don't know. I, I understand why they're writing these articles and understand 
why it's interesting to write them. But um, I don't know that, that we're, you know, we're reached, look at the NBA. I have some stats on the NBA here. The NBA, uh, I don't know where, what I did with it. I can't keep track of all my notes here. The NBA is very, very different. Uh, we got a lot of coaches in the NBA who are black. And, and, you know, once again, it's more than the percentage of minorities in the population at large. Now, they want the percentage. Some people argue they want the percentage of coaches to match the percentage of players. Well, that'd have to be about 80%. You'd have to have 80% of the reps. And that's not right. You know, you, that's, that's, you're, you're, that's got nothing to do with it. You want to know how good those referees are, how much respect they have by the, from the players for running the game. And that's what it's about. And believe me, those players are going to test you instantly. What these athletes do is they look for, and you know why, it's the way athletics works. They, work, they look for the weakest spot on the, in the competition, and that's where they intimidate. And that's what you want to do. You want to break down the weakest spot and exploit it to your advantage. And if it's the chair umpire, they'll test you to see if you know what you're doing. And you've got to get their respect instantly or you'll never get it back. Now, this is the problem with Biden. I want to shift over to a little bit of Biden because um, he is being seen by the world, and I think so, as light and unbearably light. Uh, by that, we mean um, you know, who this guy is, is, is what well, we've been knowing, what we've been talking about him, but his, his Afghanistan's blunders, his, uh, I, you know, there's the, I've even had some people suggest to me that Biden has interest in Ukraine. So if there's any conspiracy, it's going on between Biden and Putin, and Putin is being paid to make Biden look strong. Huh? My golly. I mean, I've heard that. I mean, I don't, I don't have any, I don't, I don't know what to say about it. I mean, given today, I don't know. I mean, give you really, I mean, think about it. Here's a president that's weak, has screwed everything up and needs something to make him look strong. And so Putin rolls the tanks up. And Biden says, oh, God, you fire one bullet and I'll blow you off the doggone field. Mission accomplished. So, um, you know, this is on a lot of people's minds. What is, what is the makeup of this guy? And where, where can you go with what he says? You know, he considers himself a champion of African-Americans. Uh, and yet he eulogized Senator Robert Byrd, a Klansman. OK, now this is written by Joe Epstein uh, and he's pointing these things out. He also eulogized Strom Thurmond, who was a longtime segregationist. Uh, now he's promising to put a black woman on the Supreme Court. But he's the same guy in 2005 that uh, warned that if President Bush nominated Judge Janice Rogers Brown, he, he could he assured Bush it would be a very, very difficult fight and he would lead a filibuster against her. Um, he is a guy who in 1994 was chiefly responsible for the crime law. He's now silent on the need to enforce punishment for, uh, uh, you know, these kind of career criminals. Um, you know, Biden says whatever he needs to say against whatever background he's saying. That's what I was saying a moment ago. If it's true that the super, uh, the, the, uh, the uh, state attorney said one thing one place and is trying to do another thing in another, would it be typical or atypical of politicians? You know, and, and can you ever get politics 
uh, these guys criticizing black coach. That's politics. That has nothing to do with whether or not they can make the team win to the standards uh, that the owners want and that the competition demands. But, you know, you can write about it and make it make it so. Um, uh, you know, we, we'll see uh, the, the, the opinion on Biden is he doesn't have solid principles. He doesn't have clear policies. And the U.S. consequently feels leaderless. And Putin just tested it. Now, whether Putin was paid to test it or not, I don't know. You know, some people have gone out on that limb. Uh, we do know that uh, the Hillary campaign uh, did do spying. I mean, you know, now I guess the algorithms are going to pick me up and kick me off. So uh, if I'm not here in a couple of days, you'll know that, uh, I, I, you know, somehow the truth and the, and the articles that I'm documenting from uh, really you can't you can't know about. But this is uh, an analysis uh, uh, by the opinion page of the, of, the, of the journal that and it's come out in all kinds of places uh, that what Durham is doing is beginning to peel back the, uh, the, 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 the curtain here and we're beginning to see what was really going on. And I've said for a long, long time, it's going to take years before this ever comes out because um, there's too much. And I know even locally, I know how hard it is to get things out that are being covered up. Look at the matrix uh, mystery of why the SWAT team, that hasn't come out. Uh, there's all sorts of things in this uh, this business about, fortunately, we've got it out in the open here about uh, single member district, but this is 20 years in the coming. For 20 years, we've been trying to get single member districts on the ballot for 20 years through two charter reviews. Do, do you get this? 20 years. And now out of frustration, the people turned to the state legislature and said, my God, we've been log jammed and blocked and the foot is on our throat by our own elected leaders. There you are. How are you going to get it out? How are you going to get it out to people? You know, you have to really, really work to get this stuff out to people. So meanwhile, we've got, I'm going to just focus on inflation for the last five minutes we got on farmers. All right. Now, you know that I live on a farm and I just, uh, it's, you know, it's not one of these huge ranches, but we have cattle and we have expenses. We have hay. They're out there right now at the hay ring. Uh, we have to make sure the fields are produ productive and um, the cattle are healthy and, and we have to have equipment and we have to have fuel and, and you know, to crank up a diesel tractor now. And uh, but these bigger places uh, it really begins to tweak them. And I'm going to, Patrick Thomas has focused on how inflation is affecting the farm. I just thought I'd close out with this. Uh, there, there are the higher prices for crop seeds, equipment repairs, labor, um, you know, and so you ain't seen nothing on your grocery bill yet. And by the way, if you've noticed your products, if you open the bag of chips, which we don't need in the first place, Instead of being three quarters full as they used to be, they're now half full. Or if you take a look at the quantity that you're paying more for, you get one fewer uh, item than you have paid uh, less for previously, but paying more for now. So that's being one of the ways in which uh, higher commodity prices are 
pushing these cost prices along. Corn, soybeans, wheat, sweet potatoes. Uh, uh, one example is a fellow named Barnes, who is a farmer and uh, uh, second generation in Wilson County, North Carolina. Second generation is not too old a farmer. Um, he paid $16 a gallon for Bayer AG Roundup, which is the world's most commonly used weed killer for his crops. Uh, in September, he bought it for about $40 a gallon. And, and the retailer told him it was going to $60 a gallon. Uh, one of the fertilizers he buys cost him $500 a ton, which was up $175 from last spring. Um, so it, there's, a, there's this uh, crop prices are going to remain high uh, and, and expenses on down the food chain are going to be higher and higher. Um, the, uh, the, uh, the whole distribution system is subject to gasoline prices for truckers which will be passed along. Uh, seed prices are up. Um, and I'm, I know Plantation Mark is talking right now. Uh, just to see if what he's saying uh, has over 200 head of cattle. Uh, how many rounds of bait? Yeah, a lot, Mark, a lot. Um, so this, this potential for higher farming costs going to cut into production of corn, um, everything along the whole soybeans, everything. And all the farmer is trying to do is break even. Um, break even would be a success for our rule. And so here we are. Do you understand that we are pushing for a single member district? So at least these rural guys, I can't even get rural guys to learn the internet. They know tractors and they know balers and they know, but they ain't got time to mess with the internet. And I'm trying to teach them, but they, 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 they don't really take to it easily. Um, you start talking about farmers that have been doing it for two, three generations. Um, uh, the internet is nothing that's going to help them do their farm work. Um, it's labor costs, it's uh, uh, seed costs, uh, fertilizing costs, and then factor in nature, which you never know what in the heck nature is going to do to you from one minute to the next. Uh, so we have a contentious presidency. Uh, we've got, it's going to be contentious throughout, I don't know, the next decade as the historians try to so sort it out. Uh, I haven't even gotten into what's going on on the college campuses, which I wanted to get into today. Um, but, you know, what I'm focusing on right now is how passing these costs are going to be passed along. So I don't know. We may return to some of the days of my of my mother's days of the Depression when they learned to do without and, and, and you know, learn to economize and learn to share and learn to have their own gardens. The problem with these people in these zero lot lines and these high rise buildings, they have no they have no yard. They have no land. Um, and I could have a whole uh, cl uh, class, if you will, or show just on that. Thanks to you, production, for helping me out, throwing the pictures up there of, uh, of my good buddies back in uh, Leonard George and Willie Jackson Sr. And um, we'll uh, wish you a good day. Warthog Command Center out.